Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on social media at Galen Trombley. I hope you enjoy the show. Greetings. Please hold for a very important message. Light speed sequence initiated. How may I help you? Bonjour. Security breach. The truth shall set you free. <laughs> awesome. It's a miracle. Mission complete. Thank you. Have a nice day. Is this close enough? <clears throat> it's always close enough, baby. Um, all right. Welcome, everybody. Episode 216, Gail and Trombley Show. My guest today, Mr. Andy Foster. Um, probably, first off, did you come up with your title? No. Um, I think the story behind that is Linda came up with it when they were first opening the position maybe like six months before I came on. Okay. So right before she retired. Okay, so you are creator, which is, this is one of the best titles I've ever seen in any company. I hear this a lot. Okay, which is good. Creator of opportunities. Yeah. Which I would say is probably more around the realm of like a business development kind of deal, but creator of opportunities, I just love the flow of it. I love the name. It's different people. And I'm sure if you have a business development title, people kind of know and don't really talk about it. Creator of opportunity is a talking point. Absolutely. It opens the door to, you know, what does that mean? Or what do you really do with that? Or I love your title. Explain how it relates to so-and-so. So it's um, it's absolutely an icebreaker. I don't necessarily always like to introduce myself as the creator of opportunities because then it puts a lot of onus on me that I am this, you know, spark all the time, which is often the case but you're you're like a wizard exactly it's like what can't this guy do pulls out his magic wand and just that's me does anybody ever come and say like can you create me an opportunity right now um i don't think anybody has yet be ballsy enough to make a joke like that um just because i mean i'm a good dad joke guy like i love a good dad joke yeah but that one just like you know put in a little more effort uh there was there was one i you don't have kids right correct so you're gonna be a great you're going to be even better once you have, if you ever have kids that your it's dad jokes will go roll, through yeah. the roof. So I, uh, I drop my, my wife usually gives me an eye roll. I, I, I do quite a bit of good dad jokes. Um, she gave me, I, there was one the other day I said, and it was almost to the point that it was worse. Like sometimes I say it and I'm almost like, ah, I shouldn't have like, that's just so corny. Yeah. But I was also watching this. <laughs> the reason I laugh is I love a good dad joke. So this commercial comes on, I think it was for the bachelor. I've never watched a Bachelor episode in my life. I know it's some some love sh- like reality show, mm-hmm. but this girl gets on and she goes, "I, I, what'd you say? I blacked out." And she goes, "I didn't black out because I was drunk. I was drunk on love." And she said that on the commercial, and me and my wife both looked at each other, and I'm like, "That's even bad for me. Yeah. Like that's really bad." So I don't have the worst bad jokes. This was some, and that made it to air. Oh yeah. So like, what got cut? That even made it to the promo. Yeah. That I mean that's like they're trying to bring people in with that's that. That's it. So I was like, yeah. ooh, and I don't know. Maybe it brings people in. I just I I even I rolled on that one because I thought it was bad. But it ends up now becoming kind of an inside joke with me and my wife. Is I'll just say something stupid like that uh-huh. to her and be like, I was just drunk on love, babe. And so, <laughs> but uh, so creator of opportunity. So how did you get this gig? And um, yeah, kind of give us the origin story of you becoming the creator. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, in 2020, at the end of 2020, I was like a lot of COVID people ready to um, look for a new opportunity. Um, 
so I saw that you first had this position open that seemed like a really interesting position based on the job description and obviously the title. Um, and so I reached out to them. I, I had known, um, like my parents have been members at you first since I was a child. I think I had an account when I was like four or something like that. Um, so Little savings account. Yeah. So I had, I had known and I knew people that had worked there and I knew that they were a good organization with good people. Um, so I knew it was a d decent opportunity that I wanted to at least check out. Um, and when I got the call back that they wanted to come talk to me, um, I went and had a, a really good interview and decided, you know, this seems like something that I could, I could work out well doing. So I decided to give it a shot. And so far it's been great. Um, and Linda was the one that came up with the title that she, who that's did, what I was told. Yeah. Who did the interviewing? Was it directly with Linda? Um, no, it was with Casey, who's the okay. CEO now, yep. Casey Kirk. Um, she just took over January 6th, 7th, something like that. Yep. Um, and with my direct manager, Meg. Okay. So, um, and, and I was going to say, I, I actually never, for some reason, I never got Linda on the podcast. Jody's been on the podcast. Yep. Um, I, I'm sure Linda's I got could, time now. I going to say, I'm sure I could get Linda on the podcast, but Linda, um, is an absolute like pioneer local bank legend. Um, Absolutely. because I think when you go back and, and this is kind of taking off the story from Jody and I'm not going to get too much in the details because I figure I feel like I'm going to miss some, but, um, Linda was basically the spark of you first, the connection with the college, getting it off the ground. Um, I believe it was all just at the college at, originally, and then Correct. she kind of spearheaded it moved off campus and arguably now has one of the nicest um obviously a new building but one of the nicest buildings in all the Plattsburgh when it comes from you know whether not just banking but I mean just yeah. in general it's a gorgeous building just from an architecture standpoint yeah yeah it, it's architecture just the way the way it flows I you know I had a tour there um I don't know if it was I don't know if it was with Linda. I'm trying to think. Linda was certainly there. We saw her, but um, I feel like maybe it was Jody that gave the tour back mm -hmm. then. Um, but it's a gorgeous building, and it, I would say, you know, it, it. Linda had quite a bit to do with a lot of that. So, um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't give Linda, you know, a lot of props and, and shout out. And I, and she's someone I, I really should get on because I think um, I like list, I like history, but someone with local history and kind oh, of over she, the yeah, last what, thirty so plus years. Too, that, yeah, um, she'd so, be a great guest. So. Um, find her on the golf course. I'm sure of it. I I've seen her there before. Yeah. So have she's going to be there a lot more now. Have Have you played with her? We played in one tournament this past um, summer through as a U first team. Mm -hmm. um, it was the I believe the YMCA tournament, and it was myself, uh, Linda, Jody, and then my father actually played. He was oh, our nice. fourth. Um, is your dad much of a golfer? Oh yeah, he Big is golfer? in Florida golfing probably right now. Okay, um, what time is it? Two, uh, two thirty. Yeah, he's probably definitely golfing. Right now. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't think we'd get to golf this quick. Actually, let, let's hold off on golf. We'll, we'll dive into golf. But the uh, so creative opportunity, you got the gig, you moved in. Now was this a brand new role for you first? Um, yes. So they had had a person previous in a similar type of role as a business, a, a traditional business development role. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think that was also another COVID kind of casualty. Um, I'm not sure what happened there, but then they opened up the position to kind of be more, when people ask me kind of what does the creative opportunities mean? I often go towards, you know, that has that, you know, really instilled business development piece. But a lot of it is like, 
relationship building. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly just, you know, going out, attaining new relationships, creating those sort of deeper relationships with people so that when they think of their finances or something that they want to do, um, banking related, then I'm a person that they want to reach out to, even if it's just based on like, Hey, I need some advice. Hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, I, I need some services or products or something like that. So, yeah. And I always look at if you're like in our business and this is, this is any business in general. It's like people do business with who they know, like, and trust. So like Correct. really at the end of the day, the, the knowing factor is step one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, I, again, you go to a, events, you go to after hours, you go to, you know, you guys do sponsorships and you jump, you know, you're, you're involved in the community. And I mm-hmm. think the well, number one is like, they know you. And then it's kind of like the idea of like, how do you get someone to like you? You know, like I could know Andy. Yep. Do I like Andy? And, and, and the thing is like, I think for, even you and I's relationship, like you were a guy that I kind of just stumbled upon probably at some business after hour mm-hmm. event. We probably started shooting the breeze and mm-hmm. then, you know, whatever was the, the connection point, probably mm-hmm. golf or something along those lines. Probably. You end up like connecting over that. And I'm like, you know what? I like this guy. And then it ends up kind of spearheading into the trust factor. We're like, hey, I know Andy enough that if I was to ask him a question or look for advice or bank with him or whatever, I know this guy's legitimate enough in my internal Mm -hmm. um, filtering system to say like he's a good dude yeah and and now he's got to that third level of the trust factor so Mm -hmm. um no absolutely i think this is uh you know i think this is kind of like the stemming of all the business because um now when you because you have a marketing background too correct i have a degree in marketing so i i you'd be a perfect person to ask this so how do you look at like networking is a form of marketing but when you look at marketing and then you look at relationship building, one's deeper than the other. Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. How would you describe that marriage between those two? Um, well, like you said, I think marketing is more, you know, making people aware so that they know of their options and sort of why you're the best selection for A, B, C or whatever they're looking for um, and how you can kind of fill that void. And then that relationship building is sort of the trust factor that goes deeper than the original touch point. Um, and that's sort of developing that that authentic sort of relationship with a person where you know that they're looking out for your best interest, whether that be something that you can provide them yourself or if it's actually, you know, better options for them to look elsewhere for whatever it is they may they may need. So then they, they think of you as somebody that's a little bit, you know, more than just surface level and somebody that they want to reach out to, um, you know, regarding anything. But having that marketing background, it kind of gives you a way to look at these situations in, you know, less of the human to human interaction and kind of say, okay, you know, how do I reach X, Y, and Z and kind of give some of these places that you need to go a persona. So you kind of know, okay, you know, based on what I know about this type of demographic that I'm going to speak to today, how should I dress? How should I talk? You know, who's the right person to reach out to? Um, What kind of responses do they do they are they looking for you know some people you places you go into and they want full suit and tie and they expect you know a follow-up email from a professional account other people don't even have emails you know you walk in there with a, with your jeans and boots on and you're talking to a guy that works you know down at g tire who's not gonna respond to a, an email mm-hmm. so it's it's knowing the environment and having that marketing background i think kind of gives you the the data that you can kind of rely on to say this works or this has been proven to work and then you bring yourself into those situations and you really delve deeper and kind of say you know here's who I am as a person here's the stuff that we you know represent and you know how can we make that how can we make that happen sort of uh, yeah like the way 
the way I always looked at marketing too is like you have the brand recognition, you have like you know we've we've done a lot of work on like the rebranding and the brand as you guys did you know mm-hmm. a couple of years back, um, but the idea of like rebranding, um, telling your story, doing the marketing aspect, but I think that 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 really hits the no factor the most sometimes like very rarely is it trust mm-hmm. um i think it can get to like some people can get all the way to the trust i find that the trust is definitely face to face you have to have yeah. that connection so i always look at the branding like you said it, it cast a wider net mm-hmm. but then i think in order to really have those relationships which is your you know the the big part of your role is like diving in and trying to go layers deep on those relationships. So yeah. it's like, okay, I'm going to throw out a big net, but then I got to actually go in and like with my, if you want to use in fishing terms, like throw out the big net, but then I got to actually go with my, my, you know, my actual fishing line and try to like reel in someone in a sense that it's, it's more like one-on-one versus yeah. like, Hey, I'm just going to throw this out and see what sticks. Yeah. So I think that, that the marriage between the two is great. And I've, you know, and, and having a firsthand experience, experience obviously different industries but very similar you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of similarities um it's really kind of piecing together how does it all work together and how are you hitting it from all sides of the coin i think if you do too much of one or not enough of the other it does lack there is a marriage between yeah. the two and a lot of it's between time and resources I mean, like you, how can you pull it you off know, you think of what are some of your favorite brands um that you can think of personally and a lot of people they come up with reasons that they like those brands mostly because they trust those brands. Mm-hmm. It's like something that they've done business with before or they had a really great customer experience one time when something was broken so they actually didn't get what they what they had paid for or what was advertised because it came broken or it didn't work how it was, how it was supposed to and then that company sends them something immediately says, "Hey, we're sorry. There's a follow-up email." Like that builds a relationship and trust whereas if it was another customer or another brand and you could get the same product for the same price, maybe even a little bit cheaper, you're willing to spend that little bit extra because you trust this other one. And if you can get to that level of looking at a brand as something that's like, you know, past just what you need for superficial materialistic things, then all of a sudden it's like this becomes a relationship and it's something that you don't even have to think twice about. And then you start recommending it to other people. Well, I I think it's a, like, I mean, perfect example, like, I have a Yeti mug and I always use this example because Yeti versus like say Polar. Mm-hmm. Polar, probably the same exact thing. But for whatever reason, I'm willing to spend an extra 40% for a company that is probably the same. In my head, I just feel like I have them and they work and they're good. Yeah. And they have, you know, it's like whether it's, um, you know, like nike shoes or something or you know like i have i like apple like apple computer like mm-hmm. are pcs bad probably not but i have i'm such an apple guy with computers and phones and stuff that mm-hmm. that's just where my loyalty lies like if i go look for a, a phone or if i go look for a computer i'm literally just going to that brand yeah and picking from the selection that they have mm-hmm. and a lot of it's just ingrained now now granted like i look at an apple computer i've had an apple for 10 plus years now um I've never had a virus on my computer. My mm. old PC, I would get two, three, four viruses every single year for God knows what. Yeah. But I was getting it and I had to drop it off at the IT guy and he would have to sweep it and do all this stuff to give it back to me for it to happen three months later. Mm-hmm. Never had an issue with Apple. And it works on my phone. So like I have my reasons, yeah. but there's some people that hate Apple. And like my wife's one of them. She won't use anything Apple. Don't know the reasoning, but she just hates it. Yeah. So I mean, it's like you have this, people like what they like and 
like we won't see eye to eye on that. Like I'm dead set not getting whatever she's getting. So yeah. even if they're like, you'll get a free phone if you buy the same phone. Like, no, no, we're spending the money on two phones because yeah. that's just the way we are. So <laughs> yeah. I do think, but a lot of that has to do with branding and whether or not it's truly better or if it's just something over time hooked me and got me to want it. But also the, what's the word? The, uh, the experience with it is good enough that I'm, I'm not second guessing the yeah. choice. And I think, how, how, how do you find that with the bank? Like, uh, you talked about, like if you, like say you guys, like something happens or say you mess up, like it's the accountability level and like, okay, we're going to make it better yeah, or, or work on that. So, I mean that well, I'm sure this comes across too. Yeah. And, and to your point, like with Apple, um, once you kind of have that trust factor, you're willing to give Apple a little bit more benefit of the doubt. So if, mm-hmm. if some things, you know, aren't exactly how you expect it, you know, they're going to fix it or they're going to have an update or whatever it is, because you, you know, you've been with that brand for a long enough time, that company, whatever it may be. And you've established that relationship that, you know, okay, you know, mistakes happen, things happen, things get lost in the shuffle, but how do they respond to that? And that's the biggest piece. And it's, if, if they're consistent with their response, that's all you can ask for. Um, so I look at that in the same way as the financial institution um, that I work for at U First Federal Credit Union. And, um, you know, I know that there are several options for people in their financing and their banking, in, even in our immediate area. So, you know, why would they choose, you know, U First over any other one that's in this area? And it's because, you know, you expect the same type of results from people. You expect those relationships that you've had with people. You, it's a trust factor. You know, you're, you have these people's money. So it's, it's, it's like the, the most trustworthy thing that you can think of, you know, is, is protecting people's assets. How, how do you, I want to ask you the question first before I give my two cents on it. If you, you look at like your roles, obviously to grow the bank and your roles to, you know, make the bank better. Credit union. Credit union. Yeah. That's right. Sorry, okay. Jody. Jody, Jody quit. Cued me on that credit union. What do they say? Bank is a four-letter word. That's what they tell. That's I like. That's a good one. So (laughs) credit union. I'll make sure I get that. So um, so as a credit union, and you have other say competition on a local scale, because like Mm -hmm. your idea is like, hey, I'm going to grow the credit union. I'm going to either grow it with the amount of members, or I'm going to grow it with the experience or the uh, brand awareness, or yeah, brand awareness, or what you actually put out, product, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you find it with? other credit unions or banks or anything that you guys might have to look at and say, like I look at there's other real estate companies locally. Yeah. We deal with it. Um, what's your angle with it? Because I, I find that most we're in an area that I never look at different credit unions or banks as ever being like animosity towards one, one another. Mm -hmm. I look, I always look at, I see multiple different reps at different events I think they're all good. I think they're all nice people. I think that when you look at each, um, you know, I, I, I believe that each one is doing the best job or trying to do the best job, have the best intent. Yeah. How do you guys look at it? Like in your business, um, maybe I'll spearhead with like real estate to give you some context. Like in real estate, there's multiple companies. I never look at those other companies as competition. Mm-hmm. And I never look at those companies like I'm ever trying to tear down another company. Yeah. I look at those companies, if they're doing better than we are, I look at that as like, okay, that's possible. Mm-hmm. Or I look at that company as really nothing, not in a bad way, but meaning I'm so in tune with what we're doing and yeah. trying to be the best version of like Galen or Kavanaugh mm-hmm. 
that if I take care of myself, then results will just happen, but we'll be in a better spot because I can't control how another local company that's another, like take a, you know, if a set or a Remax or Century 21 or Coldwell Banker, like I can't control them, Yeah, but I can control myself. Is that like from a banking perspective, how do you find your industries like that? Because we have some agents that I think are cutthroat and they look at like, I got to tear this person down in order to build myself up. There's some very good agents that are supportive of each other at different companies and Mm -hmm. realize like we're, I don't really care how you're doing because there's enough business to go around that if I just take care of myself, I'll be fine. If you take care of yourself, you'll be fine. Yeah. And that the ones that don't aren't fine are the ones that just don't spend enough time getting better. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, in the, in the credit union, for instance, um, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because we are a not-for-profit and a credit union is part of a cooperative. So we're part of a cooperative, which means that we work with other credit unions. Um, like if you, if you came from a credit union down in New York City, for instance, and you were going to school up here at Plattsburgh, um, if they were part of our network, which they most likely are, then they can use our credit union just like they would theirs at home. Um, so that's a big part of the, the credit union movement is sort of, you know, we support other credit unions um, because we know that they're doing good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also silly to not be aware of what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we definitely, you know, keep an eye on what everybody's doing, especially, um, you know, banks are, you know, they're for profit. So they have sort of a different tactic. You know, they're looking at it from, you know, making sure that their stockholders are getting returns and, and, and that's, you know, valuable as well. But we look at it more as, you know, all that money that that we generate goes back towards the members, whether that's, you know, lower rates or, you know, sometimes give back some, whatever it may be. Um, so it's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic that we find ourselves in, but it's also, like I said, it's kind of silly to not be aware of what others are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we follow along and we, so I, you know, you see a lot of credit unions that kind of do and well, they have, you know, really similar products, really similar services, um, they're spread out, you know, locally within smaller towns oftentimes, but then we're also playing in the same backyard as some really big credit unions, Seacom, for instance, or billion dollar credit union. Um, so they are kind of a Goliath and then, you know, we're, we're David and, you know, we, we really focus on, you know, who, to, to your point, we focus on, you know, who, who are we working for? You know, who's our target demographic? Let's provide the absolute best experience we can for our members so that then hopefully, you know, word gets out that, hey, these guys treat us really well. I would do your business here as well and kind of let that snowball organically and kind of let what you do shine. But then also keep an eye on what other people are doing because they may have really good ideas. You may say, see something that another realtor is doing from a promotion standpoint. Mm-hmm. You say like, hey, man, that's genius. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we how do we do a version of that ourselves um, without, you know, encroaching on any of their territory necessarily? You're not trying to like tear them down by any means but you're also can can recognize a good idea yeah i i've always kept my finger or yeah finger on the pulse thumb on the pole you know what i'm talking about i've, yeah. I've always been like aware of other companies one of your ligaments on the pulse yeah yeah, yeah one of the digits so something i yeah. uh i've always been aware of things that go on i understand companies i understand agents i understand or individual agents individual or companies um i also look at trends I also really try to look outside of our area. Mm-hmm. So I gather a lot of information from other broker friends that I have around the country and or, well, that for sure, but then also um, like other cities. Yeah. 
you know, what's like in New York City doing? New York City is not the same as us, but New York City trends are going to hit us in the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like anything, music, fashion, whatever you food, yeah. all that stuff's going to kind of migrate up or out of LA, you know, Chicago, you know, Dallas, these bigger cities. So I'm trying to always keep my um, finger on the pulse of all that stuff with the idea that I can then kind of filter it through and see what works in our local area. Because mm-hmm. again, I might see a great idea you know, maybe someone's doing in Boston or mm-hmm. New York City, but then I got to tailor it down to us. I'm like that's yeah. cool, and I, like, what's the overall? What's the general concept of that? Mm-hmm. And it might not be the same median and that or a medium that they're using. Like, they might do something on the, you know, like on on a digital front or on a, a more large scale. But then if I can break that down and say, how could I replicate that idea locally in our area? Yeah. Um, and then also from a competitive advantage of like, is anybody else doing this? Is this going to, you know, is all this effort really going to distinguish us different? If mm-hmm. it's not, then it might be putting a lot of time and effort and money into something that's just really not going to rear its head in a good way um, or the payoff. So, but ultimately I try to keep my, my, like I said, you, you, you're aware of people, but by no means am I going to go trash another company yeah. or say anything. It's more of like, okay. I got respect for them. I'm going to watch out for them and see what they're doing. And like you said, they might have a great marketing or it might say, man, they're now catching on to something I was doing. Mm-hmm. So maybe it makes my me elevate my game or just be more consistent with them. Like, okay, actually, Agent A has gotten really good at this. What are they doing? Or, well, they're about the same as me. Okay, is there a way that I can get better or is it even worth it maybe i'm just like okay i'm i'm good at them yeah. like it's almost like diversifying a portfolio yeah. like i call this from like marketing or branding like we're good there like i don't really need that's a small thing but i can definitely raise this up where we're not good at mm-hmm. this we're lacking mm-hmm. um and i always look at how good can i make myself as an agent or cabin as a company where we can stand out or we just raised the level of our poor performance in our poor areas, which everybody has them. So it's like identifying your poor stuff mm-hmm. and saying, okay, how can I get better at that? Instead of going out and trying to like blame someone else for my lack of growth or, or results, most of the time I look internally and say, okay, what are we not doing well? And I, I probably spend 99% of our time looking at stuff that we don't do well, yeah. meaning analyzing our own business, than mm-hmm. I do looking outside at people and saying like, we got to stay up with those people. Yeah. Because that's not realistic because everybody's, it'd be like, from a golf standpoint, be like, Andy's a better golfer than me. Therefore, I got to be like Andy. I'm like, no, no. How about I just drop a couple strokes in my handicap? Yeah. Because I can, I can, I can actually do that and I have full control over that yeah. and that's going to make me better than, I think there's a whole larger conversation to be had about that just from, you know, People only show you the positive things, so then you start seeing the stuff. highlight reel. Yeah, I mean, you if you start to compare yourself to others, um, it's unrealistic because people aren't showing you the bad days. You're not seeing the failures. You're only seeing the successes. So it kind of it puts you in a position now where you know not only are you trying to reach something that's unattainable, but it's not realistic. Um, and I think, like, are you are you a big uh... Like social media guy, do, do you are you on social media a lot? Like scrolling and inter- um, oh yeah, watching, reading, digesting stuff. Like- I love Twitter. I'm a big Twitter guy. Okay, so I'm on there quite a bit. Um, I'm not a big poster, mm-hmm. but you know I I follow. I know all the like trends and things, so I have to stay up on that. Part of it, um, you know, I get a lot of my news from Twitter just because mm-hmm. I appreciate it coming directly from the source, and it's you know right as it's happening. You know tr- things are trend. I love. I mean, I love. 
I love that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, to your point or, you know, Instagram and things like that is great, but you're not, you're not seeing what's real. Mm. You know, you're just seeing what people want to share. And oftentimes nobody's sharing the, the bad, the tough days. I always find that, and I go through spurts. I, I'm not a big, I was posting a lot on social media on a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. I very rarely post personal, like Instagram, personal, like Facebook, same thing. Yeah. I very rarely post. Um, I think if I didn't need social media for my business, I probably wouldn't be on it that often. Um, oh, I'd love to be like Jared Leto and just disappear for like 30 days and do like a hundred percent yeah, off the grid type of. Yeah. Like, and I, I think that I absolutely have that in me. Like if you told me if I didn't need it for work yeah, and it wasn't, and I could say, yes, could I do my job without it? Absolutely. But I, it's a very hard thing to give up when it, it's the ROI of it. it's great. Yeah. But if you said, Hey, do, you have to delete all your social media accounts for, and you won't need them. It won't affect your business. You could delete them. I would have no problem. Yeah. And I think the, the idea behind it is I like the posting aspect of it, but I catch myself like earlier this year, I unfollowed, um, probably I was following like 400 and something accounts. Yeah. I dropped down to like a hundred <clears throat> mm-hmm. and, or maybe a hundred and I think I'm at like 150, maybe a little bit less. And a lot of it is like some local companies that I want to stay in tune with or mm-hmm. local sources, like the college, some, you know, some things with the city of Plattsburgh, town of Plattsburgh, yep. stuff like that. You first. Um, yeah, like I mean, it's, but it's it's like a lot of yeah, it's just stuff that I want to be aware of yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on from the local area, um, and then I have a couple small things of like national figures that I follow that I find interesting. Like mm-hmm. I'm reading a book right now, like Ray Dalio. Like I follow Ray Dalio and his account. I follow you know whether it be like a Gary Vaynerchuk or whether it be some local or some national real estate people that I follow. Yeah. Um. So I use that as information. I do catch myself though when I find that I'm scrolling. And I'm not pulling information, and I for some reason I can, I can catch myself doing this. But if I'm just, scrolling, mind numbingly scrolling. Yeah, and it, like if I'm scrolling through and I'm gathering ideas, because I do find it as like a, a, a it's a teaching thing. Oh, it's a it could be a huge tool. Yeah. So if I'm going through Instagram, a lot of times I'm looking at like what are they posting, how are they interacting. If this is like a big agent, maybe in New York City, how are they? carrying themselves and what are they doing i'm like we could replicate that and that's actually really cool and nobody does it locally i could do that like screenshot it save it whatever put it in the database of or my my like my wish list of things that i'm working on yeah um but if i find if i'm going through and i'm just mindlessly looking Mm -hmm. and i went through a phase recently where i would watch a video and then i would start to go into the comments and i'm not a big comment guy like i very rarely read comments Mm -hmm historically they sucked into those and then all of a sudden I started watching a video and then I would go down to the comments to see what people were saying mm-hmm. and I remember doing this subconsciously not knowing I was really doing it and to the point where I'm stopping like, what am I doing why am I looking why through? am I so invested in this I'm like I don't care uh, yeah and the video was nothing that had to do with me yeah. it was just like something and it might again go back to golf it could be someone's golf swing and I'm going down to the comments to read what people were bashing about PGA or live, or it could just be like a business thing. Like, I can't believe they did this. I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. Yeah. And I don't really care one side or the other. And then I, I literally do this. I just stop. I'll get out of the app. Yeah. I'm like almost like cold it's, Turkey, it's smart, yeah. but it's, but it, then there's times where I'm not, I'm just subconsciously like I do it and I don't like it. So it's like a bad habit that I realized I was doing over the last like couple weeks. And yeah. I'm like, like stop doing that. So then at night 
I've been getting it like at home. I go and I put my phone the other side of the house, you know, and I hang out with the kids. But like after the kids are down the bed, I want to sit down and, and read. Yeah. I'm not going on my phone. So like that's I go to the extreme of just like I'm not even going to have my phone on me to check it. Yeah. To break the habit. So it's like a weird thing, but it's also one where like you're just trying to um, you fall in bad habits with social media. And that mm-hmm. was one of them. Yeah. I mean. I've had this conversation with with my friends quite a bit, and I am a big proponent that I think the internet is like a top five invention. So it's up there with fire. It's up there with music. Like, like I look at the internet as such language. Yeah, like I look at it as such a strong tool. Like it's incredible that you're able to get real time information from somebody that's completely across the globe, and you can communicate with that person, and you can have business done. You could get, I mean, any anything you want. Like it's absolutely mind-blowingly incredible however that same tool has this potential to like ruin people's lives like it all depends on how you utilize the tool um and so like like what you're saying it happens all the time And, and and there's a reason for it i mean twitter and things like they purposely curate your list and your algorithm to kind of put things that they know you're going to engage with Mm -hmm. and in order to engage with that you have to either like really enjoy it really not enjoy it and a lot of times when really not enjoys it like people get responses out of that it's like why it's like why the news is always bad stuff all the time it's like because people people can't help themselves they radiate to that it, you know it's uh you can't look away from the car, the car crash kind of thing mm-hmm. like so people utilize and, and i see it on twitter all the time and you know oftentimes it's like politically driven in the world that we live in nowadays um, but it's something that is like a divisive thing that they know if I say this or if, if I put this out that it's going to get a reaction from people, whether that's good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is. Um, and it's so easy to, to kind of find yourself sucked into those conversations because you may feel strongly about, you know, one little piece of this. And now all of a sudden you're, you're 10 comments deep reading into somebody who hasn't left their mother's basement in like two years. And all of a sudden you're spending your valuable time which is already short enough as it is, reading some crap on the internet from somebody that has nothing to do with you whatsoever. Or it's a bot, or it's like yeah, pur- purposely driven. I, I, uh, I mean, I, I think it's like everybody else. You know, we all time's the only thing on earth that you have like a finite amount of. Yeah, and you know, you spend and I've spent a lot of time over the last couple, you know, couple of years really figuring out almost how to cheat time but you're not really cheating time you're you're stopping the like we all get 24 hours in a day obviously that's that's everybody knows that but it's like how do you use those 24 hours in a day yeah so it's not like you're gonna cheat time but it's like you're cheating i want to cheat myself out of cheating myself at a time yeah so then it's figuring out so what's the op- best ways that i can opportunity cost opportunity cost like what's the best way that i can maximize my time or and i've, I've you know, kind of come across this a few times, and I actually just got his book. Um, the guy's name is Rory Vaden, I think it was, but it was the idea of like, how can you basically how can you create time? And creating time is not that you actually physically create time, time's yeah. the same, but how can you create systems where you actually increase your productivity in the amount of time that you have, but your input is not any higher? Mm. Um, so really, and that's something I've done a lot of work on. I actually just had a meeting before I came here with a guy and I was talking at length about this was that like, I've spent a lot of time in 2022 kind of stepping back 
and he even mentioned like I don't really see like social media out and about and it's true like I and it's not the fun stuff like that stuff was fun because it's like flashy and it's fun and you get to engage and stuff but I said I've spent 2022 kind of like slodging through this like unsex or non-sexy like not fun Mm -hmm. very little tangible thing that you can show for it but I know it's going to be better down the road and Mm -hmm. one of the ideas behind it when this all pays off which i i know it will is just keeping the keeping the energy to get to that level was that trying to create efficiencies and effectiveness in systems in models where i can buy time back and Mm -hmm. buying time back means i can have more of an impact with less input so i'm looking at my efficiency scales and efficiency models and efficiency just everything that i do where if i'm going to spend because I have, well, one, I have a wife and three kids, which take up a lot of time. And then I have, you know, then I have the sales hat of real estate. Then I have running the company hat of real estate. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on with that. Then there's also like having a life, which meaning it's not like, you know, where you're not chasing around kids and you're not working and you actually can play golf or you can have a social life with some friends. So it's like, how do I, how can I do all that and balance all of that where I'm not like, completely sucked into work and I'm not completely um and I'm not neglecting my family and I'm not completely like punting my happiness for hobbies and things that keep you know some people sane and a lot of it is like how do you buy back time Mm -hmm. so I've been working hard on systems been working hard on um you know really coming up with stuff that I can almost I call it like shelving it. I can build it, mm-hmm. shelve it, knowing it's gonna work in the background, automated that now what took me the time to do that I put in the upfront work, but now it's going to pay off long term. Right, I don't have to do that, mm-hmm. and that just gave me the time back. Mm-hmm. But it's still happening, so that's kind of the idea. And social media is one where, if I catch myself scrolling, I'm like, "This is a very poor use of time," yeah. and it's suck, and it's actually sucking that finite resource down. So when I catch it, I get like almost like a full on assault on that. I'm like, "No, no, not touching it. Mm-hmm. Going to check it once a day." Or I see there's a notification and I'm just I'm like Xing that screen out and like I don't even care what that is. I'll look at it yeah. in a few hours from now or yeah. even days from now. I mean, you can't you can't keep up. I like there's just too much stuff, too much content, too many platforms. It's just impossible, you know. There was a point in my life and, you know, probably you know, after college at some point where I tr- I was trying to like see like I think it was before they switched the algorithm. So most of like everything social media used to You're be talking like, about Twitter now. Um I think most social media in general had like a time stamped. Yep. It used to work. It was yep. like chronological so you could yep. like scroll things. And there was a time where I was like, you know, I was trying to keep up with with the stuff that I was missing and I just realized like this is just way too much. Like I don't have the time to try to be able to get back to like where I I left off kind of thing. It's like reading a book. Like I left off on page 16. There's no getting back to page 16 cuz there's just way too much stuff out there. So it's like you know, how do I you use these platforms in a way that I can pull out some of that joy from there but i'm not spending you know hours trying to find these things because it's just too way too much stuff that's out and i feel awful for kids nowadays because they just like when i was you know i'm not old by any means but like i was running around playing outside like i had a cell phone i think when i was 17 or something like that yeah um so like my friends were my friends at school and when i came home i had friends at home it wasn't like you know, 
like like nowadays these kids i feel awful some of these kids they get bullied and things like they have no recourse if they go home they're getting bullied on facebook if they get on the xbox they're getting bullied on the xbox like I, like i honestly think that that's a huge issue for for our our kids growing up is having to deal with the constant pressure of like like even you said just having a notification on your phone get like gives people anxiety sort of like like how do we you know things are good but how far do we need to go before it's like now starting to become a negative to a lot of people yeah i think the kid thing for sure because like we didn't have that pressure going like i how, how old are you andy you're I know you're a year or two older than me, I think, right? 34. Okay, so I'm 33. So we like we graduated. Like I didn't have Facebook in high school. I got Facebook in college. It was yeah, EDU. I couldn't get it till yeah, then. It was so a, it was yeah. Twitter or uh, Instagram wasn't invented. Twitter had just been invented about a year or two prior. Yeah, I never. I wasn't and, big on Twitter early. But it, but at the time, like tw- I remember, I got really into Twitter like probably circa like 11, 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And this was Instagram came out in 13. So I mean, this was before Instagram. And I actually got off of Twitter when they switched the algorithm to the point where they started. And again, I, I've been off Twitter for a while now, but the point with um, where people could share stuff, but then they started to have the um, like you might like this or like suggestions. Yeah, yeah. And I, I used to only have you know I followed whatever account, hundred accounts, and it was chronological. Well, those hundred people typically weren't posting constantly throughout the day. You'd have a couple that would post like yeah. ten times a day, but realistically, if you have a hundred people, and on average they're posting one or two times a day tops, you could go through that list, and not, I mean that's pretty quick to go through. Ten minutes, yeah. Ten minutes a day tops, and I was getting everything I wanted. Then it got to the point where I'm like, I'm scrolling to find the people I want to see because there's so much crap being dropped in, mm-hmm. and that's where I really kind of got out of it because I realized like I'm spending too much time on this because I just want to see what I want to see. And I find, and I'm, I'm starting to find that Instagram is slowly getting to that point where the other day I was going through it. I'm like, I'm getting more suggestions. It's like every four pictures or something. In my feed, I'm getting more suggestions or sponsors mm-hmm. than I am actually things I want to see. So I'm finding that, and you know what I'm actually getting sucked into? It's not the, um, it's, and again, kudos to the people that are running these algorithms because they're smart and they understand psychology it's not even the people that i follow i'm getting sucked into it's all the crap in between me trying to go from this this account four down to my next account i have three suggestions to skip over in a, in a sponsor mm-hmm. and those are the ones that just start playing and i'm like what it's like this and this i'm like why am i even seeing these two things well because you liked this and i'm yeah. like well, I like that because it was suggested to me and I fall in that trap and now you're in that algorithm. And they build it to look like you don't even realize that you're, you're looking at it. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, what account posted that? I'm like, I don't even, I've never even heard of this account. Yeah. But of course, it's something that I, like I said, maybe it was a golf thing and then I, I, I sponsored it and then I wa- I've been watching the Australian Open tennis. So like, then all of a sudden now I have tennis videos popping up uh-huh. and I'm like, oh, what did Nate all do? And then you watch that and I'm like, why am I watching this? Like, I, I, I'm not following this account. It's genius. I mean, and, on their end, it's genius. And this is the first time I've noticed, and I don't know if something's changed, but this is, has been basically the last three weeks, basically from the beginning of the year, I've noticed this stuff popping up more to the point where I'm like, I don't like that because I just want to get on and see what I want to get on, let's see what I want to see. Yeah. And I, now granted, there might be, I have to look in, maybe there's a way to block some of this stuff or say like, I don't want these suggestions. I'm sure there is. Probably. But again, I'm really not in tune to that kind of stuff. Yeah. They don't make it easy. I know that. No, I mean, and, and it's like a, 
and it's not even like I care, but it's the problem. It sucks you in to the point where like I can acknowledge it and say like, you know what? I'm, I'm actively figuring out a way not to see this. Yeah. But until like I, until I take that action to do so, I will keep getting bombarded. And then you realize like, I was just scrolling that for 10 minutes. And I honestly, I just wanted to look at that one photo. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. Yeah, you, it's, you first doesn't spam me like that. That's a no, good thing. But not a spam. But, he, uh, <laughs> but um, so what do you think about, um, so you're on Twitter. Has Twitter changed much since Elon took over? Um, or do you find it's kind of marginal? Because I feel like a lot of it's headline generating for yeah. clicks for, for those news organizations. But how do you feel as a consumer? Um, I mean, other than just, you know, some, you know, things look a little different. As far as like he's changed, he's changed the. Uh, you, you, you can pull that down a little bit too, a little more comfortable. There you yeah. go. Yeah, he changed um, like some badges and things. So there's some like physical differences, but so far I haven't necessarily noticed a lot of, um, like platform changes. Or I'm not, I don't feel like I'm seeing more of something that I didn't used to see before. I think it's very interesting that Elon bought the platform. I'm not really sure what his end goal with that is. Um, but I haven't noticed from a consumer standpoint that anything's significantly different. Um, you know, it's still very tailored to the things that I'm looking at and looking for. And to your point, like I'm seeing more and more of that kind of stuff. And I can often find myself getting pulled into, you know, conversations about things that, you know, I may have mentioned once. And now I'm down the rabbit hole. Um, but no, from a, from a consumer standpoint, I haven't seen significant changes. I do find it interesting and kind of wonder what his end game is though so i again i i saw a video and it was an interview he did so it's just straight out of the horse's mouth um i i'm a big elon guy i like i i think what he's doing is incredible i've watched plenty of videos i've interviews like um podcasts of just how in like long form like in context not yeah. like out of context stuff where <clears throat> you hear him talking and hear him reasoning and you hear him thinking and i think that he's um I think he's going to go down in our generation, century, whatever, like Leonardo da Vinci, like the Ben Franklins, you know, these like Isaac Newton, like these big thinkers in history. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be in that realm. Like Steve Jobs, I think you're just going to see these guys that are so innovative. Um, Einstein, Edison, these guys that just stand the test of time. I think they'll be in that realm. Um, but what I, I also like, I do think he's a bit of a loose cannon, but I also think he's a loose cannon in the sense that he goes very much against establishment of stuff, which I like. Not mm-hmm. that I'm like anti-establishment or anti-people, but I like that he just says what he means. And yeah. I don't think he sugarcoats anything. I like that he's blunt. I like that you know exactly where he stands. Because um, I think we're losing that a lot in today's day and age where people, I think, beat around the bush too much. Where yeah. it's like, I just like, and myself included, there's times I wish I could just say something bluntly. And I'm like, eh, how's that going to affect that person if I say it that way? Yeah, He doesn't care. Yeah. Um, but I also think the innovation of like space i like space i love the innovations like obviously with what they're doing with tesla and what they're doing with um energy and then him looking at like the boring company and him looking at Neuralink. like you people will say bad things about it but at the end of the day like i think these innovations you know ai open ai he was part of that now they've come out with the chat um was it chat ai or whatever it yeah. is um so you're seeing a lot of this stuff but with twitter one, he overpaid for it, and he knows that. Oh, yeah. Like he, he grossly overpaid for it. But when and I would say overpaid for it in the current standpoint, uh, the current time frame, I do believe that he bought it with the idea of trying to preserve, like the freedom of speech thing's tough. 
But I think the idea with the freedom of speech, like I'm not for like people going out and saying like wild things to just say wild things. I do think they have the right to say that, but I also think, you know, you can limit stuff on platforms. I don't like, I think there was a lot of censorship that was a little too much. I think that, you know, I think that censorship, I think as long as someone's not saying anything like crazy, and I mean crazy meaning like threats to people and, yeah. and like where you're actually attacking people. And we all know those people day to day. Like if those people were on the street screaming and yelling at you, there's a chance you're going to have a restraining order and or they're doing something illegal. Yeah. So I, I think there is a level of that online. So I think he did – I think his goal of trying to preserve that freedom of speech aspect I think makes sense to me. Now granted, I'm sure there's pros and cons both ways about how they go about it. Um, I also realize that Twitter is a massive company. Mm-hmm. He didn't take over some small company. And I think that, yes, there's going to be learning curves and growing pains and mistakes. Um, and he's admitted that. But I also find I did see the interview where he said, and again, I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays out. He, for people that don't know, he started out, he basically, him and what Peter Thiel and someone else came up with PayPal. PayPal, yeah. So, I mean, that was a big thing back then. They talked about digital money and currency and all the stuff that they were doing or money on a digital platform. He said back in like early 2000s, he came up with, I don't know, again, I don't know if you're familiar with this interview, but this was recent since he bought Twitter. In like early 2000, he wrote out a whole business plan about how to like revolutionize money and how it's spent or traded or consumed or whatever that Mm -hmm. might be. And in the interview, he said, in 20 years, nobody's done it. Like, there, there's definitely growth within the way that we, you know, transfer money, like yeah. Venmos and, and all these accounts. And obviously, you, you know, credit unions, you guys are, are well in tune to that stuff. Yeah. But he said that nobody's, and I don't know what it is, but he's also said that I have came up with this. I just didn't have the platform. I didn't have the time. I'm turning, Twitter is going to end up utilizing that. So I think Twitter, his end goal it's kind of like Facebook getting into like AI and, you know, it was, it was a social platform, but yeah. then it's going into different platforms and stuff. I think he's going to take Twitter, turn Twitter into some type of, you know, on a larger scale. In this case, it sounded like it's around the monetary system mm-hmm. um, that would revolutionize it. Now, granted, people would be like, oh, easy for him to say. Well, like, he's also the first guy that like really privatized like spaceships and electric cars and like these things that, you know, this guy, if you're going to talk about innovation, in my eyes, this is the guy that's hard to bet against. Yeah. So I think that the, taking the Twitter that we see it now, because um, think about how lo- like take Instagram came out. In t- Instagram's not even ten or Instagram this year turns ten years old, oh, and wow. how much how much has changed in Twitter and like Facebook is not even twenty years old yet. So when you take um, you take all that into account, how much it's grown since it started. And then you look at something like Twitter where he's like, okay, what's Twitter going to look like 10 years from now, once from now, once he's owned it, yeah. could he turn it into that? And the way technology is like, that could be a five years from now. He's got that thing up and running. Yeah. That just seemed like if, if I was in Elon's shoes and I was, you know, had all these innovative companies that I was helping to run, I don't know that Twitter would be on my, on my list. Like it just seems like a lot of, a lot of headaches for, and a lot of time consumption but again, you know, he's Elon, so I'm sure he has a plan that I'm not aware of. Yeah. But it I, just seems like if you were doing all of these, you know, like 
a social media thing would be. But he must see a bill, uh, you know, an ability to monetize and make money with it. So, well, I think if if it has to do around the money, like if, that he said in the interview, if he's truly looked at it as this is an opportunity, I could turn this platform with whatever the back end systems are and everything like that, and engineers behind it into something that could pull off maybe a plan that he has money wise that we don't know about yet. Yeah. Like I think it could work. And I think that might be it where most people right now don't really, everybody's like, I don't know why he bought this, but everybody I think is short sighted of like he bought Twitter and Twitter is not even the biggest social media platform. It's just like, why would he spend all that money to buy this platform? And, and but people are looking at it as 2022, 23 yeah. as what it is now, not what it could become. And again, I mean, SpaceX, how, how old is SpaceX? Like 20 years old tops yeah. from like inception to where we are now. And now mm-hmm. he's, I mean, he's government's contracts and everything and he's sending stuff to the ISS. Is... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see to see what he does. I, I heard an interesting kind of conspiracy sort of theorist reason for, for why Elon bought it and it had to do with his uh, Neuralink AI artificial intelligence and like utilizing you know all of that user data and information that's been collected over since Twitter's been inception and in, you know tw- 2007 or whatever whenever it was created and then he has all of that information that he could then utilize somehow with his AI I, who knows well it's almost like if you spend money to get like a proprietary list of something yeah. and people are like that's a lot of money I'm like well the upside that just took save me how much time and the upside is I can if I'm can execute on what I want to do, and now I have that at my fingertips. Like you can do a lot of cool stuff with that. Yeah. Um. I think that, I think that's cool. But then you look at the idea of AI, which I think AI is cool. And I heard the idea of like, well, AI would take jobs and take things from people. I think and it's, they, it's cool to a point. I think to a certain extent. Yeah, and I think that the the. The job aspect, yes, it's going to make jobs obsolete. Same way, you know, cars are now built with machines all the time. Mm-hmm. And you have assembly lines, but it's going to change what people do, not necessarily like a job. It's just you're not going to do that job anymore. You'll do a different job that now becomes a byproduct of this. I do think the idea of robots is scary, not because of what the good they can do, but if you make a robot that can think better than a human. I mean, you take you take a robot as simple as like the IBM Watson that can crush anybody, at, can crush the world champion at chess mm-hmm. in chess without even thinking moment, just because algorithm, boom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you put that into a robot that can physically move, can physically do stuff, there's enough crazy people in this world that can figure out how to turn that into a, um, you know, honest, an army. An army, yeah. yeah. And then you start looking at like there's really like any any doomsday Armageddon movie you've ever seen with robots, I Robot, whatever. Mm-hmm. That is a very real possibility now. And I think the one that Elon was coming up with was like you could buy the robot for like twenty grand. Like if you're telling me I can buy a robot for twenty grand, and mow your lawn. But 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 yeah, exactly. So I'm like in my head, if this could mow my lawn, if this could drive me, if this could, I could give every single thing I wanted to accomplish. Buy a lot of time back. A hundred percent. And and this is something where it's like. I, I, and I'm not joking. Like if you, if you said you could have this robot that could do everything you could do and it's smarter than you and I would buy him, could I just buy that person and do a bunch of stuff for me life work-wise that I don't want to do? Like, hey, I want you to paint my whole building. I had to, I've just spent two months doing all this stuff and mm-hmm. they're just like, do, 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 do. Next thing you come in like a week from now, everything's painted. The smarter than you part, though, is what scares me. Correct. Like, I kind of want them to be a little dumber than me. That and <laughs> don't, like, because what happens if all of a sudden they cha- they turn 
And now you have this thing trying to harm you. Yeah. And you can't, how do you, I mean, how many movies have been made about this? Yeah. How, yeah, exactly. How can you kill a robot that really like, I can't punch this thing. It'll grab my hand and twist my arm and break it. Yeah. Cause it's got the torque of, you know, I remember reading a story, um, from Facebook when they first started getting into AI, um, and they had created some sort of something similar to Watson and it was like a computer program. And then they had a separate one that was also some sort of AI computer program. And then the two of them started to communicate and they had to shut the program down because they started to communicate and create a language that humans didn't understand. So the fact that they, and that was like, I think like 2012 or something like that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. So if they were already like that fear was already like, like these things are communicating in a way that we don't know what they're talking about. That's scary as hell. <laughs> well, I saw that. So I was watching a show. I, I, I like, um, have you ever watched, you probably haven't. And if you have a, a lot of respect to you, you get the dad jokes, but do you watch CBS Sunday morning? Uh, no. Your parents might have or grandparents. I don't oh, know. I've seen it before. Yeah. So like the show comes out. I don't on. watch it religiously. No. So, well, well, this is, so like, I, I like watching this. So Sunday morning it comes on from like 9 to 1030 and they do a bunch of different topics, like just random topics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it's, and I like it because it's different and it's news, but it's like, it's not around the main headlines of news yep. and it kind of, it's just cool. And it's very, it's like a variety show. So I. One of the topics they had the other day, this the past week, it's called Dolly. So it's like, so you have the painter, uh, Salvador, Salvador, Salvador Dolly, Salvador Dolly, yep. and you have the movie Pixar movie Wall-E. Okay. So it's Dolly. So instead of Wall, take the W off. It's D A L L hyphen E. Okay. And what it is is it's an AI art. So if I so so this is the thing right now you're saying. You can get this. I forgot what it's called. Well, no, it's Dolly. But, I mean, you can go on it, and I think, I'm assuming it's some subscription service. But you can go on, and they've inputted, the guy was talking about it, who, like, runs it. I think it's part of OpenAI, which is one of the companies Elon started. I don't know how involved he is with it anymore. Mm-hmm. But it was something he had to hand in at, at the inception. And the CEO said they basically inputted 600 million images into this. So what would happen is, like, you could say... I want you to paint a picture. I used this example the other day. Like I got a, I got a photo of Michael Scott up here. Yeah, Shout out Office. Yeah, favorite favorite movie or favorite TV show. So you Great could, quote. Solid quote. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Wayne Gretzky. Actually, I'll give you some stat. Talk Wayne Gretzky in a second. Yeah, you miss 100% of the shots. You know and uh, so Michael Scott, if you said, I want you to make a photo or a picture of Michael Scott playing croquet in Giant Stadium while snowing in the in the in in the uh form of picasso in seconds it was like there you go so we have a picture of him playing croquet giant stadium with a snowing in a in the form of picasso and it's freaky because you could say anything you could say like i want you know andy foster hitting a hole in one at augusta national in the form of like you know a graphic design techno thing yeah and it would produce it. So the idea behind it is like you can get these wild photos and, and they kind of interviewed some artists. Like, is this going to take away the art industry? Because really anybody could get what they want. And the girl had kind of a, you know, she had a good idea behind it. But realistically, if you're hiring these people to do all this stuff and you're like, I can just plug it in this program. It's going to shoot me out the bio, like the, the mock-up of what I need mm-hmm. or even the full design or the logo like within seconds and you can just do 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 and it's just instantaneous yeah 
it's freaky. It's cool. It's like, well, that's awesome. But then it's like, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. And, and for something like art, I find, I find that part of it like difficult to understand because you can, so are they like, if you ask them to do that same image two days from now, are you going to get the same exact image that they made on Tuesday? Good question. Or are you going to get a whole new, because if you asked an artist to do something like that, you're going to get something different every time. Mm-hmm. And I think too, with, with art, because it's such like, uh, an emotional type of feeling kind of yeah. hard to quant, can't really quantify type of thing that you, you would lose out on some of that, you know, those nuances. Like maybe that person had a bad day that day and, and they decided to use a darker color here rather than, you know, a lighter blue or something. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. it'd be impossible well, to, well, it's kind of like if you took, both you and I are both in relationship businesses with people, mm-hmm. and I think because people always say like, "Oh, real estate's gonna become obsolete." I don't believe that. I don't believe a real a real estate agent is gonna be obsolete. I don't believe a business development person or creator of opportunity will become obsolete. Yeah. The reason being is is there gonna be parts of my job that will become obsolete? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It that's inevitable. That's gonna happen. I will adjust a certain way, but. I don't, and maybe I'm wrong. Is there a way that you can communicate with people on a personal level to do what we do or do what you do? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I'm not saying that it can never happen. I think that that's harder to replicate than someone that's able to spit out the price point of your home. Yeah. Someone can spit out, I mean, we already have systems that people can put in. Now, do I think that they're the best system? No, but it's not because they didn't pull some data, but because they don't have the, the nuances from an emotional standpoint mm-hmm. and in my business, like, okay, what's your time? What's your money? What's, what are you as a person? What's your risk reward? What's your kind of personality type? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that go into those algorithms, my personal algorithm to buy, to give you the best game plan. Like if you just want a number, you're probably going to be in the ballpark with, if you went on all the websites you could find to say, punch me out how much my home's worth. They're all going to probably be in a pretty small range of numbers. Yeah, my number might be similar to that range of numbers, but there's a lot of nuances amongst that 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 can't account for because there's no price tag in real estate, so you can't just go put that on your house and someone's going to pay it. Yeah, so there's a lot of that. Like your business, I'm assuming is about this. the same thing. There's some parts you're like, yeah, I can see that definitely being taken off by some by yeah. robots. And I also think like, you know, you're going to get that group of people that just don't want they want to go as automated as they possibly can you mm-hmm. know and we've seen um young people that that there's a, a, a big shift that towards of they don't necessarily want to deal with person-to-person interactions they can they want to do as much as they can on their phone you know and the banking industry is changing rapidly because of that but but when it comes to you know purchases like w- what we do so finance big finance type of decisions buying a house like this is very personal this is very like you know a big deal in somebody's life like that's a position i think like you really want to have that person that you trust and that you know and that they're going to be looking for the best interest for you and kind of taking that onus off of yourself to have to worry about am i getting a good deal i don't necessarily i'm not involved in real estate all across the country. I don't know what rates are at. Like you, you want to entrust that with somebody who's going to make that decision for you and get you the best possible deal in the best possible location, all of that. Um, so I think like there would be 
parts of the job that can be automated, but that piece of it, I just don't ever see that going away, especially in our kind of positions where, you know, you're making life altering changes. If it's something like I want to get a pizza or something, automate that as much as you possibly can. Yeah. Like, but if it's I'm making a, a big decision and involves my finances, you know, a large aspect of what I'm doing, you know, my, you know, you know, my significant other, their life, like all of that involvement, um, like you, those relationships are what you rely on. So, so I've been in, so this is my 13th or 14th year in real estate. So I've been like, this is like, it's kind of cool. Cause I've seen, um, I've seen the whole growth of, I've seen a big growth of real estate because with the emergence of technology, when I first started, as funny as this sounds and people have been, that have not been in longer are going to think this is crazy, but I would handwrite every contract. I would hand deliver every contract or fax it. Mm-hmm. And that was when I started and like agents would cross stuff off and circle stuff and initial and it just, then can you rewrite it? And it was just the most in like time consuming, inefficient way of doing it. So then what happened over time started out with scanning. Well, now you got rid of the, I'm going to go see agent Andy and hand him the contract mm-hmm. and face to face. Even if it's not Andy, I stop at Andy's, you know, office and hand it to the person at the front desk but i'm making that human connection then i got to the point where i can just scan this thing Mm -hmm. i don't have to see i I cut that out i'm still signing contracts still meeting with clients about it but i cut that out now we're to the point where not only like an agent used like we would have agents or not agents we'd have clients like come in and you would meet them in the office and like because that's you had to they had to to walk in the office and get stuff we still have some of that but it is not even close to what it used to be yeah um we very rarely have people call the office because they're calling agents on their cell phones. Like that's how you communicate. Yeah. So our business now is everything's electronic signature. I don't know the last time. I mean, I haven't hand wrote a contract in years yeah. and I don't know the last time I actually met with a client in the same room to write up a contract yeah. or even type up a contract. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I found out about it, I asked one of our, lo- he's still a local agent. He's like, and he was very, um, probably one of the first one or two people that did online contracts when I'm like, why aren't we doing this? And he did. I'm like, wait, how does this work? And I'm like, well, do you still meet with the clients? Do you sit down with them? You just type it up. He goes, no, no I just type it up and send it to them. They sign it. I'm like, wait, you mean they're not actually going to be with you face to face and going through? He's like, no. And since we started doing that, I don't think I've ever had a client that I've actually typed it up and sent it and had them do it right with me. Mm-hmm. Everything's been electronic. Yeah. And I don't think anybody's really asked me to explain the contract. Not that I, I would have no problem explaining the contract yeah. to you. I used to sit there and go through the contract and go through every single, you know, paragraph of what it meant. Yeah. People don't really care. And it's important to you, but not necessarily like they well, trust you. Well, that, yeah. And they trust me. And I, I always thought that like, they're going to want me to go over every single aspect of this. No, they don't. They don't care. I'm the same way. If I went and I'm signing this document, I'm like, where do I sign? I got stuff to do. Like I trust you're just. Who reads the terms and agreements? I scroll to the bottom, hit consent and say. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. And, and in our business, like your attorney is going to review the contract. And these are all the standard contracts. Every, every agent's going to use them. It's all, we've all seen these. Just the, the terms are different, but the wording's all the same. Yeah. So that's now to the point where like the the human side of it, the connection side is much, you know, people are texting more than calling. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how people want to do it. And I'm mm-hmm. the same way. If someone calls me, if I'm available to pick it up, I will. It's way easier for you to send me a text as I'm, so I'm not breaking what I'm doing. And as I'm like walking to the next thing or switching tasks, I can respond to your text on my time. Yep. And then you can respond on your time and it's easier. Mm-hmm. But, and the other thing that I found is like, instead of me running around 
and handing contracts to people and meeting up with people to sign and write handwriting stuff. I can do things now faster on my own time and they can do stuff on their own time. So that gives me back time, which mm-hmm. now I can use that time for family or hobbies or generating other business opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I look at that as a benefit. I don't look at it like, oh, man, I really miss the days where I sat down with a client and hand wrote out the contracts and shot, you know, shot the breeze with them yeah. as they're waiting for me to sign this contract. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Well, I mean, it's a better, it's a better buying experience for the, the consumer as well. It's the efficiency. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like or, they, you know, they don't want to be sitting there going through all that stuff either. Or like, Hey, we're going to have a winter storm. I hope you can make it tonight. Like, yeah, you're right. Are you even going to be able to sign this contract? Yeah. 100%. Um, so I think a lot of that, especially that type of automation that you were discussing and that, pro- that progression is a win-win for both um, you as a real estate person and as them as the consumer. So, I mean, it's when we start to cross into where you start to lose some of that personality and you see automation, you know, in other parts of, you know, industries that I think, you know, there's a fine line there before you start to lose too much of the human interaction. And I think that, that we're definitely starting to teeter in that direction. Well, the, imagine like, like I, I met you through in-person business after hours. Mm-hmm. Physically, we're in the same room, having a conversation, breathing the same air, we're in the same room. Yeah. If you were to say, okay, how do we automate that? Is there an automation? And again, I like. Do we send two robots and they just talk? And they're, my robot comes back and be like, "I like Andy's robot," and like, you know what I mean? And yeah. then we're, or I know I was just watching this movie. Um, you ever seen Long King Polly? Yes. With Ben Stiller, I love that movie. It's just yeah. it's like stupid. It's been comedy. a while, but yeah. So I, I was watching it recently, and um, he like puts in his computer the risk assessment. Does he want to be with? Uh, his ex-wife or of Polly mm-hmm. and it spits out that Polly's not as much of a risk and that became like a conflict in the thing because she found out about it but like but ideally like it would be like that do I put in this algorithm and be like do I like Andy or you first or do I like this you know credit union person whatever yeah and then I'm just like doot 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 spits out I'm like Andy's the better choice and I go with Andy that could happen and I'm not saying it can't happen I do think though that I would also have to have a hundred percent trust in that. Yeah. And I could also, there's also the like factor. I could be like, man, they say Andy's better, but I just like this person better. Mm-hmm. And then I could override that based on my personal human preference that that's what I want. Now, granted, I saying this now, maybe 10 years from now, I'm kicking myself and being like, yeah, that's how we all do it. Yeah. But it would it, have to really get to that stage. Well, you, you lose a lot of that interpersonal sort of even body language. Like, like there's a lot that goes into relationships and communication that isn't just you know the bottom line and like that would just be so difficult to try to create some sort of algorithm or some sort of like robot to be able to like i don't know how you would do that you know what i mean i mean i i take just this podcast in general like i out of 216 podcasts i've had one virtual and i've had one half virtual meaning i had one I had one guest physically in the office and one we like zoomed in because they were partners and one mm-hmm. was out of town. So I always like the in-person. I get to chat with you before you kind of, you know, we set up, I kind of, we just kind of, you know, shoot the breeze. And then all of a sudden we start. Yep. Um, I, I also like in my, like with the podcast and like, it's not like we end a hit record. I'm like, all right, see Andy. Like, no, you're going to, we take our stuff off. We chit chat, you grab your stuff. We mm-hmm. walk, you know, we kind of, chit chat and then you walk out like but you get a little bit of off start and end before 
what people hear is actually taking place. That that aspect is always something I really liked with the podcast. Now, granted, could I get different people on or expand my pool of people by doing it via computer? Where I don't have Andy, I'm sitting, I'm looking at a computer recording it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of podcasts that do that. Mm-hmm. I I think I might try doing that at certain points, depending on the guests that I want to grab. Yeah, but it's very hard. Like I've traveled with the podcast. Like I could have done a Zoom. I'll travel an hour to go do a podcast with somebody because I want to have that in person experience, or I want to be on site at whatever they're doing. Because I've done that too, where I'll go to a place, walk around, see the place, and then have a podcast at the site. Yeah, because it gives me the context. Yep. So there's some stuff you it's hard to replicate. I guess you can put like VR goggles on, like I'm walking around and seeing everything. And again, that will probably happen at yeah. some point. But it, I mean, I guess it just all depends, sort of, you know, what you're looking for specifically out of the experience. Some people, you know, they just want to get the bottom line. They don't want to have to deal with any hassle. They don't want to deal with any people. They just want here, get me this at the fastest way possible, and so I can move on with my life. Other times, you know, you you enjoy the journey. Like it's. Like you were saying, like when you finish the podcast, maybe something funny happened. Somebody mm-hmm. tripped over something. Now you have an inside joke the next time you see that person. Mm-hmm. You see it all the time with like, you know, big time athletes that have had 20 year careers and they're all pros. And, and then the first thing they ask them about what they're going to, what they're going to miss. And they say the locker room, the, yeah. the, yeah. the, the airplane home from, from winning a big game. Like they don't, they, they hardly ever tell you about the Super Bowl they won or that great play or great catch or whatever it was from the actual product from when they're playing the game. It's rarely ever that it's always about, you know, those relationships, those behind the doors, those like, like one-on-one in an empty room where, you know, like this is this person raw and authentic right here. Like there is no be yet. Like, and that's the part that I just don't know how you'd be able to replicate that. You know, what's funny is that the last guest I had was, um, Rob McAuliffe and he was, he coaches at Shazy, and I. He was my co. He was my teacher. He was my coach. I coached with him after um, high school, and we we kind of went through and we're talking a lot. And it was good. It was like memory lane. You're going down. You're you're reminiscing, but most of the stories that we talked about, like we're talking about big games, it's the same thing you said. Like what kind of person that guy was. Yeah. What kind of you know what the morale was of the team, stuff in practice that nobody saw. That I mean, maybe me and my teammate or teammates mm-hmm. experience that but those are the ones that stick out it's so i think it, it is true it's like yeah we did win that big game but god remember this actually remember when we traveled down we we're on that bus ride and like but you're talking about the experiences with those people mm-hmm. and uh it, it was fun but those are the ones that really come back it's like going to school like i don't really remember any test i took i don't no. remember anything i remember the like you said the my buddy who slipped and or made a fool of himself somewhere and we just i was crazy and we still bust on him talk about yeah to this day yeah Yeah, and it's like and that's the moment where like i got i got a handful of guys from high school that are good buddies and we get together and it's just like we just picked up from 2008 trash talking and it hasn't stopped you haven't said a word to the guy in 10 years and it's soon it's like just ripping him yeah nickname comes out yeah i haven't been called that in 10 years like well guess what all weekend buddy like this is it so then your uh, wife's like hey uh um what's going on with 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 your buddy there oh he's great oh how's his wife and kids i don't know yeah. Didn't ask him. Yeah. Don't care. What do you mean? You spent, you haven't seen the guy in 10 years? Well, I assumed if, you know, something bad, they would have told me. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think, I think that's like a, that's definitely a dude them, thing. It drives yeah. them crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. We went, we, we, yeah, we went out for the weekend, saw a couple games and just had a bunch of jokes. But it, now what would happen from like an AI standpoint or virtual reality? I thought about this isn't far off either. Like you and I were playing, like, let's say it's, uh, 
golf simulation. I was just golfing with my buddy on the Oculus the other day. Okay, so they have. I'm, again, it's where I'm a di- dinosaur. So how is that experience? Well, you're a dad. You're a dad. I'm a dad. That, yeah. Even better. I like that. Yeah. How, how, uh, how How's that experience of golfing with an Oculus on? It's fun. <laughs> like, like uh, I just played the other day. With so you're him. swinging your own club. Swinging your own club. Actually, I got even an accessory that connects to the Oculus handle. So you're actually holding the golf club. This is so cool. And you swing the handle. So it's just like keep, I'm, keep, I'm, I'm making a, stop, so it's like I'm making a real swing. Um, I can't remember the name of the, the golf simulation, but it's like, you know, you have your, your little emoji guy or your character and you're, you're taking turns just like you were on the golf course and you watch your buddy hit the shot. And then if it's going right, I'm like, Ooh, that's in the rough, bud. I could see it. You're in trouble. And then if he hits it right down the center, it's like, man, that was a great shot. But you're watching him do it, and then you so go you up both you, have it. You both are have you it in on. the same room or different? This is like we're like, on the course, huh? So we're on this. Yeah, we're so he lives in. But um, I'm saying you're not like in the same physical room. Oh no, he's down in the downstate somewhere in New York, um, and we're both on like the first tee box. Is it Golf Plus VR? That's that sounds right. Like, is it this? Um, yes, I believe that's it. Okay. Yeah. So we, and we actually, we play ping pong too. And ping pong is a lot of fun. Um, and you're in the same room as the guy and, and even like, like you don't see it all, but even some of the mannerisms. So this is it right here. Yep. That's it. So like, yeah, you're putting just like you would put, and you could see like, he'd be watching me on the green from over at his ball. And then I would make my putt, and then I'd wait for him to, sh- to, hit, to hit his putt, and I could see him. You know, I could move my guy and get in his line and, like, move my, my putter to, like, try to screw up his putt just to, like, screw with him. Because it's like we're both in the green. So this is, like, legitimately, like, so if there's I, etiquette and stuff, meaning, like, you're... If you want to. I mean, it's just like you were on the course. But I'm saying he can actually, like, he can see you. Yeah. So if you're talking to him while he's hitting, you'd be like, Andy, shut up. Yeah. I mean, I've I've moved my guy and I put my putter right in his line to try to get him to miss the putt because he's beat me by a stroke kind of thing. I wonder if he hits, could you like block his ball? No, I wouldn't do that. It would go right through my. Oh, okay, putter. I've tried. I've so, tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you're when you're playing with it, like when you're actually swinging, because obviously this is showing some other stuff here. But like, if you're actually swinging this golf club, mm-hmm. how how accurate is? I, I I guess what I'm saying. That's hard to say. Because, like, and the reason I'm saying this, like, say you had to go up and you're like, okay, I got to, like, open my club face slightly because maybe I want to hit, like, around it, the green. It does have some of that. Like, I okay. o- you open the club face a little bit, try to get a little bit of elevation under it so you pop the ball higher. Okay. You bring your your swing back a quarter of a swing because you're only 60 yards off or something. If you did a full swing, you'd hit it 60 yards over. There is, it's accurate to a sense, but it's definitely so, not so if you we're got, not even close to being there yet. so if you got up and said listen i'm gonna hit a half shot like a half pitch shot mm-hmm. you know let's say typical golf you take it back maybe i'm gonna do like some like kind of half three-quarter swing yeah i'm assuming that this would translate into club head speed and angle of attack and stuff like that or do you think so it's pretty accurate it's it's got all that in there i don't know if accurate's necessarily the word i would use to describe it but it's definitely taking all those things into account and it definitely makes a difference I don't know how accurate it really is because it's hard to say, especially because there's in golf, there's so many variables, you know, there's wind, there's potentially a little rock under your butt. Like, you know what I mean? It's hard to know. You get it one, one clip too high on your club face and it's gonna, it's gonna fly. Like, so that part of it, I don't know, 
but you have to generate the same kind of swing. You have to hit the same kind of putt. You can open your club face to hit it a little bit higher. You know, the swing, take it back, take it, you know, a little bit back. Like all that's going to play a factor. Um, but I don't know. You can play top golf on it too? It I don't know. There's true a to bunch golf, of games. Honestly, I haven't really. True to golf physics, accurate physics model. that feels just like you're on the course. This, oh. I've never even heard it. This is wild. So what kind I'm of game system is it? Is it just Oculus? Or do you have to yeah, get. It's, it's the Oculus and then you buy. I mean, I've been buying them off of like their play store and it just downloads to your your oculus but i i'm so i'm i think it's like an xbox and then you would buy but do you have to i again I, i'm very not smart at this stuff so if you if you were to not like if you were to buy the oculus so if i went and bought the actual oculus i that's all i need to play i don't have to go buy like an xbox or playstation no, the Oculus is the Xbox, essentially. Gotcha. Okay. And then you'd have to buy a games for your Xbox. So just like that, you'd have to buy games for the Oculus. But they're just like, they're, you know, they're not physical so, games. You'd have to oh, my gosh. Is this, so this is what you have? That's what I got. Actually, that's a nicer grip, though. I kind of want to get mine re-gripped because I use mid-size grips on... Um, well, I was going to say, so, that's what I, was, I mean, this is a legit grip. So, like, you can actually... Yeah, that's actually the, the grip set I use on the course and whatever one you're looking at. The, the multi-compounds? The super strokes, yeah. So you can... That's incredible. So you, this is actually the butt end of a golf club. Yeah, you're holding an actual like golf club grip, and you're swinging it like you would a club on the course. So if I have like I, I like playing um, golf like a golf pride tour velvet, mm -hmm. like old school. So if I got that, cut that off, regripped it like normal, I can feel like my actual club. It's essentially like they cut a golf club in half and put the the controller on the end of it. How's the weight feel? Um, there's different weights you can buy too. So depending on how you like your club head to feel you can buy different weight weighted uh like grips or whatever for it so what i was actually thinking is because like naturally yeah the weight like, is at the end of the club yeah so if you're hitting a driver versus a wedge it's a very different weight yeah. scale um but i'm almost wondering if you, like so when you get up i'm assuming you somehow distinguish what club you want to hit um in the game you mean yeah yeah so it'll give you what it thinks it should Cause that, that's the thing is like everybody's swing is basically the same in, in the game. Mm -hmm. So if you're 150 yards out, every player is going to be swinging a nine iron or whatever it is. Whereas gotcha. in real golf, like based on, you know, how fast you swing the club, like you'd be, some people be using a pitching wedge some people be using a seven iron. It's pretty much, you know, here's what we think you should be hitting. I don't know if that like updates based on like your swing speed and all that stuff. Okay. That would be interesting. I've never looked into that part of it. That's why. So, so I don't know. Yeah. Cause my thought is like, what happens if like, let's just say like a hundred yards they're like, Oh, you should hit swing this. I'm like, well, I actually want to hit this in real life. I would be hitting this club, but even like a shorter club play a different style shot. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so mm -hmm. just in general, like, okay, it's like, Hey, you want a seven iron, like hit a punch shot here or something. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, I, I get up in, like, if I'm, like, between clubs, this is how I play. And, again, I'm not a great golfer, but I'm, I'm good enough where if I was looking at, say, an approach shot in with an iron, mm -hmm. and let's say it's 163 yards. Okay. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, my 8 iron goes about 160. My 7 iron goes maybe about 170, 172, something in that range. Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking at that, I would much rather, where's the hole set up? So mm -hmm. say the hole's on the left. I would rather try to draw in an 8-iron and try to get a little bit extra yardage at it. Mm -hmm. If it's on the right, I may want to hold up or cut a 7-iron, mm -hmm. knowing it's going to be a little bit shorter than a stock 7-iron. Mm -hmm. 
and I can access that pin better. So, I mean, this, these are minor things. It's probably yeah. not that big of a deal when you're well, playing like virtual makes, golf. But that's what makes golf golf though. Like the that's the golf. fun part of it. Yeah. But I mean, this is you but, can do that though in this game. But but it, there's is there a co- like I guess if you're playing, could you like move up and say I really want to hit these seven iron this hole or eight? Almost you, like Tiger Woods golf where you could change what yeah, club you hit. Um, you can do that, and my buddy he's played a little bit more of it and he's tried to tell me that you can do some of that stuff but most of the time i just go up and swing at how it tells me because i'm just playing the game as a game okay um but you can do all that because he's 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 tried to he's like oh yeah if you change your club down you can hit you know play it off to the left because there's some wind coming in from there hold it up against the wind try to land it whatever so you can do all that most of the time i just get up and i'm like i'm gonna swing this and it's probably gonna be on the green because it's a video game um but yeah you absolutely can do that and it's only progressing like it's it's pretty accurate from somebody that plays golf pretty regularly like i think if somebody went up there that doesn't play golf regularly and had like a a swing that doesn't look like a golfer i think it would result in a shot that doesn't look like a golfer like but it's also like wee bowling where if you get it you know within the right slot and you're kind of just like it's it's gonna be it's gonna hit the ball you know Whereas so, in real life, a lot of people chunk it or something like, you know, that, that part of it, the distance and things like there's a lot more that goes into the actual golf swing in real life. But So you can buy different size gigabytes on the helmet too. Is that just a whole different amount of games? I'm assuming. Um, yeah, because it, all games have to be downloaded. So it's like a phone okay. um, where there's no physical games. So anything, you know, the larger your headset, the more games it'll, you'll be able to hold on at any given time. But it's also like Xbox where you can delete the games that you're not using and then just re-download them when you like if you want to use them in the future so it's not going to take up more space. That's wild. I The Oculus is cool. I have a couple games for it, but not a lot. <clears throat> but VR is absolutely the future. That's so cool. I've, I've never... You know who actually was the first one to tell me about, v, uh, about the Oculus was Dave Coyer. And he, I guess his kids have it or something. And he goes, it's pretty cool. Yeah, like... That- I mean, you see videos of people like running into their fireplace because they think they're like on top of a building. Like it, it really <laughs> like it, it sounds ridiculous, but you can easily get like lost in it kind of thing where if you don't realize like, oh yeah, I actually am in my living room right now, two feet from my coffee table. I'm not on a skyscraper in New York City. So it kind of, I mean, it does put you in like a, a, some type of reality. Oh yeah. I mean, it's virtual, but like, well, yeah. And because it's a, a goggle, like you see nothing but the reality the virtual reality around you so like if you look down it looks like you're looking down a skyscraper if you look up you're looking at the sky like that's so trippy so yeah it's not like you're you're just focused on this one part of the game like you would uh, an xbox where you're looking at just your tv like everything like you're in the environment have you ever seen um was it ready player one i haven't that's a movie and a book i think I, I want. I think I might try to read the book because I've heard. I did read the book. It was really good. I've heard good things about the book. The book was good, and then I saw the movie. I don't remember if I saw it first or second. The bu- the movie's actually really good too, but that's that same kind of concept. It's like a futuristic. Everybody lives in this virtual world because we've depleted all of the resources on 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 Earth, and everybody wants to live in like a happier environment. So they all log into. I forget what it's called in the book, um, but it's it's like essentially like you'd get in this room and you'd log on to your quote-unquote oculus and then you would go join this virtual world that's much better than the world that you're living in because you know humans have ruined everything basically so so ready 
Player One and Ready Player Two are two different books. Same yeah. guy. He had a lot of success with the first one, and then he put out the second one. Is the second one good? It actually says... The second one's okay. Decent. Yeah. Worth reading? Um, If you like to read, yeah. If you're like picking and choosing your books because you're not reading a whole ton, then I maybe skip it. The first one is much better than the second one. I think the second one was an offshoot of the success of the first one, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So it's better off, like, so I, I like books. Yeah. And, well, read the first one, and then if you yeah. like it, like, it'll be the same style. You know, he's a, he writes in a really similar style. And if you like that kind of, you know, futuristic type of, you know, book or story, <laughs> then you'd probably like the second one, too. See, I'm not a... I'm not a massive sci-fi guy not that it's like not that i like don't like it it's just not like my my normal genre yeah but i will say it's like i'm trying one of my goals this year is to like expand my my book horizon and i've heard some good things about this Mm -hmm. and i usually just try to like like look up like the cheapest books i can get i might actually have it at my place i can look before you order it well, it's it's all good. I I mean I I. So actually, what I do, I'm ordering them right now as we're talking. Because this go. this is literally me. I go find like. Oh, I do that all the time. A good. This is also the thing too. It's like. Some of these when they're. Like very good. It's used oh, like the yeah. But it's like like new. That means somebody read it once, sent it back. Which is crazy because you can just buy the new one cheaper, and you can actually get the the other one when you actually go. So, I mean, it's all right. I just, I'm, I'm, this is my, I've gotten my book knowledge or my book ordering ability has gotten pretty high lately. So <laughs> not, not to, uh, do, do you, do you like reading or read a lot? Um, I, I enjoy reading. I need to read more. Um, okay. 12 I probably, bucks. I got two books. Probably like, you know, a handful of books a year. My problem is I have trouble like, you know, sitting down for a long enough period of time to like, read a decent enough of the book to feel like but that's just a that's just a me thing i just don't carve out enough time for for book habits yeah it's uh it was something it was like 20 like 2022 i had like a couple things that i wanted to change like habit wise and just kind of get better at. and like i didn't hit all of them but one of the ones that i really did do well was read so that's what i've like but i found like changing habits so instead of listening to like music or podcasts or mm-hmm. things that aren't like really great or just downtime like i'll listen to audiobooks or like i always have a book on me like downtime instead of scrolling i will just read a book and whether that's 50 pages or five pages doesn't matter like i just read and yep. then i just kind of keep chipping away at it so that a lot like of, my mother she would have a book anywhere we'd go yeah and it's just in it you know, like dead time if you're like waiting mm-hmm. you know f- a couple minutes early for an appointment just read a few right pages before bed that's a great because it like also helps you sleep yeah, and that, that's actually one of my favorite times. And sometimes I've read early in the morning, but it's uh, but it's just yeah, that's that was a habit I got into. Um, are you big? Because we're talking New Year's here. We're we're just a couple mo- uh, weeks in. Are you like a New Year's resolution guy? Or are you just kind of not really? No, um, I think it's a good excuse if you like have some changes that you've been trying to make recently. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. a good excuse, um, or you know, a good timestamp. But it's not something that I like. You know, here's something I want to accomplish for the next 12 months i just you know use it as something that's a good time stamp yeah i usually i guess it depends what it is i i always set goals at the beginning of the year so like typically like 
I would say around November, October, November, I start kind of like jotting some things down and kind of get things laid out. And usually before the end of the year, I kind of have something already laid out or even before like December, I kind of have like a schedule that I want to do for the following year. Mm -hmm. But I'm not somebody that if I want to start a new habit or something new, I don't wait till January 1st. Yeah. It could be November, like middle of November. If I really wanted to start it, I would start it. And I, I think people that wait are probably a high percentage that fail at what they, and I don't think they actually want to do it. It's an excuse. It's it's procrastinate procrastination tool. So like if I wanted to, let's say, start working out or do something like that or eating better. Like yeah. hey, I want to start eating really good. I would, I mean, I know we just passed it, but I wouldn't be like, ah, I'm going to wait till February 1st to start. Mm-hmm. Like I just be like, no, I'm going to start tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's, I've always like thought of little things like that. I do like having a grand like, like master yearly schedule. I want to try like, like the, in a perfect world, I get mm-hmm. all done, you know, Mike Tyson quote, everybody's got a game plan to get punched in the face. And that's mm-hmm. typically something comes up and that changes. But I really try to, you know, kind of keep tweaking throughout the whole year where like really you get to the end of the year. I'm like, I didn't get to these things, but like, what did I accomplish? Like, ah, I actually did pretty well. Yeah. And I think, you know, just kind of that like self-reflection, but yeah, just the, the new year's resolution thing is I don't give myself the, the out of it has to start on January 1st. Yeah. And I think new year's resolutions from like, you know, the 30,000 foot view is a great idea. You know, give yourself some of those big overarching, like here's Mm -hmm. the stuff that I want to get done that I would really love to accomplish. And it's something that I can kind of keep myself time bound in the next year or so to do. But then, you know, let all of the small stuff that builds into those things that make that accomplishes those on a day to day basis. That's kind of where you you live. And then you, you kind of reflect as you're as it's ongoing, like, you know, am I working to like, where am I at now based on those, those bigger goals that I wanted to accomplish, but don't get so specific that like, I want to start eating better at this time, on this date. And like, that's, I mean, that's the way that I've always looked at. So the, what, the what, what's some stuff, like, how do you measure your, we'll, we'll kind of go maybe like in the business realm of this, like, how do you measure your accomplishment success within the business? Like, are you a big metrics guy? Do you go by based on feel? Do you go on like, are you kind of more like seat of your pants? It's it's kind of a mix of all those things. Um, and that's one of the things that I've always found difficult about this this particular kind of role and any sort of relationship building is, you know, how do you quantify a relationship or how do you mm-hmm. quantify, you know, having an impact on somebody? So, you know, you can keep track of, you know, when I go places, you know, how many people did I talk to, you know, what kind of conversations did I have? Like, what were the outcome of some of those conversations? Who wants to be followed up with? What did I collect for business cards at the last business after hours? So that kind of gives you a baseline of, okay, you know, we're moving in a direction that we want to go. But then a lot of it is just like that feel. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's hard to put a number on something like that. So it's like you can keep track of those relationships that you've built, but then you got to kind of develop them and then reestablish and make new sort of ways to quantify that. And that's something that I've always kind of tried to get better at because it's not something I find easy and it's something that, you know, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do that. Well, I think we talked about before, like when you got brand and you have marketing and and some stuff you can track, you can track like input in, input out. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I do find that branding and networking and relationships, you can't, it's hard to quantify that. I find that I'm very metric number driven on where I can drive those numbers. If I said, you know, how many good relationships, that number would be subjective to how I feel. So if I'm like, I went to business after hours and maybe I talked to 15 different people, but I really connected with two. Mm-hmm. and those were the two that took most of my time, energy, effort. I got the most out of it. I feel like it was a, we kicked it off. I feel mm-hmm. like it possibly could be someone in the future that I would want to, at the next business after hours, to have the same kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. Then I would look at that, and I'm like, okay, I got some good ones, but I got these really two good ones, and maybe those are two people that I want to really put in my database as you know a contact for the future or someone that I could maybe try to pursue a relationship with for whatever reason. Yeah. But I find that like the feeling around that to me is more of like a gut feeling that yeah. you get over time. Because mm-hmm. there's some people I meet, I'm like, they're, I like them, but I don't, for some reason, they just didn't connect with me enough where if I see them, it'd be great. Like I talk to them. Yeah. Not someone that I'm really going to go out of my way to, you know, maybe pursue or turn into a bigger or, or a more deeper conversation or uh, connection yeah um so i do think there's a mixture like when we like we still do but like when we were um doing a lot of like the merchandise and shirts and hats and stuff like i couldn't quantify me giving a shirt to somebody yeah um i could quantify that we doubled our business in basically two years after doing that consistently for two years yeah and i could say i don't know like i don't know if that was directly what happened because i was it was kind of like you know when you're supposed to figure out if something works, but you're only supposed to change like one stimuli or stimuli of it. Mm-hmm. Like I was doing a bunch of different things, so I don't really know what worked, but I just know all encompassing it worked. And then I, you get a gut feeling. Like, I think these worked better than this. And I, this was a lot. This was time consuming, and I don't know if the time and effort put into or the money put into it really had a good ROI. Yeah. Why don't I drop it and double down on these? There's some quantifying, but some of it's just that gut feeling where it's like I. I just feel like this isn't the right thing. Yeah. I don't know if it's right or wrong and it's just uh well like in your example like you can say you know we spent X amount of money on the merchandise and it brought in X amount from an income standpoint but that correlation like you said there's so many variables that go into that you know mm-hmm. you're like did they become because they got a shirt did they come because we got a pen like yeah so that's the part where it's like you know you can quantify you, it's great to have numbers and then to back up sort of you know what the impact of what we're doing is. Um, but then those, those feelings and those relationships are sort of like where your bread and butter is. Like you can put yourself in positions to be in front of as many people as you can, but is that really bringing in, you know, those real, like, you know, relationships that you're building, that's going to be a long term type of thing. Well, I think for, and I think for most businesses, like you will know if, if, you know, like if you first is there and you guys have a meeting and now Linda, but say, you know, Casey's doing it and she's like, you know what? We're seeing a really high level of like new accounts opened or whatever, mm-hmm. or whatever that might be. Or we're getting a lot of business accounts coming to us mm-hmm. and we've seen an upswing and I'm sure you guys track month over month and year over year and you mm-hmm. kind of have your metrics you look at and like, I don't, for some reason we've had, you know, a solid like 5% growth month over month for eight months. Mm-hmm. And then like, what do we think that's causing that? And a lot of that is like you could put a metric on it, but they might say, you know what? I don't know. Andy's just been very involved. We, we got involved with a few other things, you know, and you might just say like, listen, I just feel like I've upped my game at networking events. 
I'm talking to more people or I'm having better conversations or my approach is different or, yeah. or maybe my approach is just a little bit more, you know, Andy and not as rigid. I, you know, I'm just, just, just picking on you, but like in the right people. Yeah. But maybe it's like you sat, you kind of like settled down and you kind of got in a rhythm that just works for you and mm-hmm. you're not trying as hard. And it just like, I don't know, just it's you being more what's comfortable to you. Yeah. And you could be like, you know what? I just feel like I'm in just a in different mindset. Yeah. I just feel exactly. I feel like I'm in that zone and I can't quantify it, but I just feel like I'm in a place that's better than what it was self-reflecting a month or two ago. Yeah. Or maybe even six months ago, but now we're seeing six months later, things are starting to change. Like, hmm, maybe that's maybe that's a correlation. Yeah. And then obviously you're going to keep building on that. But it, but again, you can't pinpoint like, oh, maybe just Andy's just feeling it now. And that's why we're, we're going that's, up. But you could be like, you could say like, I just noticed it. I don't know what it is, but there's a difference. Yeah. And I'm going to keep rolling. Think, yeah. This rolling. I think that's the most difficult part of any relationship building position is that that piece of it right there. So Andy, now that you've been there for, I, I think we have it here, but let's say, you know, you're going on what, close to two years, year and a half, two years. Um, I'll be a year and a half, I think next month. Year and a, so in a year and a half, what, what have you learned the most? And then last question, follow up to that is like, what do you hope, like, what's a goal of yours going forward with the position? Let's just say that personally, like, what have you learned the most and what's your, what's your hope for the future? Okay. Um, yeah. So I've been a year and five months right now. I'd say the biggest takeaway so far is that you're not going to be the perfect thing for everybody, but if you find the perfect people for what you are, then that's, that's where you need to live. So I always think of the adage of, um, you know, being yourself won't get you the most friends, but it'll get you the right friends. Yeah. So I, I take that approach and I say, you know, you know, this is who you first is and we want everybody to be involved. But if it's, you know, not right for you, I'm not going to push something onto you. So I think that, that sort of um, mentality is what I've learned in the first year and a half that seems to be, you know, useful for me. Um, and then where do I see myself or where do I want to be? Um, you know, I would love to move um, up in the company you know, be somebody that, um, is known in the area for, um, you know, just as like a good person that's easy to connect with, that's easy to talk to, that's somebody that somebody wants to reach out to if they have any kind of financing issues. I just want to be somebody that, um, is known in the community, you know, be like the D Billy Jones of the, of the U first credit or the uh, D Billy Jones of the credit union world. You know what I mean? I mean, you got good hair, so that's, you're, you're one step I'm halfway there. <laughs> Not as good as Billy. Billy's no, untouchable with untouchable. the hair, but it's, uh, oh yeah, I like that. So, um, but we'll wrap it up there. Um, Andy Foster, you first federal credit union, creator of opportunities. I still love the name. <laughs> um, but no, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. I, le- I learned some stuff and I want to check out that golf game now. So yeah, if you do add me, we'll play. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What, 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 what is your handicap at now? What are you shooting now? Um, my handicap was a five point something, five point seven or something okay. last summer. I still got to catch up. My goal, I ended last year at like a nine nine. That's good. One nine two something like that. I started the year at like a sixteen, fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, that's really good. And uh, I used to be better in the past, and I'm kind of like getting back into it. My goal this year, I'm going to publicly say it because then people can hold me to it, <laughs> is I would love to get down to a three. 
Ooh, okay. and, I, and that's and that's tough because as you know, like as as you get better at golf, it gets much harder to drop strokes. Mm-hmm. So, um, my goal is to play more this summer. We'll have to play this year. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to get out because I think I don't think I played. You pl- you were on the winning team. Shout out right up there to the trophy. Oh, yeah. He was on the winning team for the kids. Andy Absolutely. was a rookie this year, but a great addition. Um, and uh, but yeah, that's uh, I like that playing more. Yeah, how often do you get out? Once a week? Um, less. At I mean, currently, like, what was your last summer? I was probably averaging like once every like twelve days. Oh, like, God. I gotta days. get you out. More. That's what I mean. Are you an early morning guy? Um, can be, can be. Yes, I will get up for golf at any time. Okay. There was one point I was living at Seth Square, and they have like it's the same owners that Bluff, mm-hmm. and they were offering like a at the time like a, a membership if you lived there so i probably played like in that summer probably like 60 rounds of golf oh geez that was, yeah. that's i good. was there like almost every other day that's good numbers and i was like a two at that point so i play a lot at blood we'll, we'll we'll get out this year yeah yeah and i think i'm, I'm a morning guy i'm like 5 36 a.m i'll be there i'll oh, be there okay all right i like it i like it so all right that's it episode 216 andy foster career of opportunities we're out Thank you for listening to The Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on all social platforms at Galen Trombley. Thanks for listening.